Section six of the Letters of Mark Twain Complete. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White. The Letters of Mark Twain Complete by Mark Twain. Volume one, Chapter five. Letters eighteen sixty four to sixty six san francisco and hawaii life on the comstock came to an end for mark twain in may eighteen sixty four it was the time of the flour sack sanitary fund the story of which he has told in roughing it he does not however refer to the troubles which this special fund brought upon himself coming into the enterprise office one night after a gay day of fund celebration clemens wrote for next day's paper a paragraph intended to be merely playful but which proved highly offending to certain ladies concerned with the flour sack enterprise no files of the paper exist today so we cannot judge of the quality of humor that stirred up trouble the trouble however was genuine enough virginia's rival paper seized upon the chance to humiliate its enemy and presently words were passed back and forth until nothing was left to write but a challenge the story of this duel which did not come off has been quite fully told elsewhere both by mark twain and the present writer but the following letter a revelation of his inner feelings in the matter of his offence has never before been published to mrs cutler in carson city virginia may twenty third 1864 mrs w k cutler madam i address a lady in every sense of the term mrs clemens has informed me of everything that has occurred in carson in connection with that unfortunate item of mine about the sanitary funds accruing from the ball and from what i can understand you are almost the only lady in your city who has understood the circumstances under which my fault was committed or who has shown any disposition to be lenient with me had the note of the ladies been properly worded i would have published an ample apology instantly and possibly i might even have done so anyhow had that note arrived at any other time but it came at a moment when i was in the midst of what ought to have been a deadly quarrel with the publishers of the union and i could not come out and make public apologies to any one at such a time it is bad policy to do it even now as challenges have already passed between myself and a proprietor of the union and the matter is still in abeyance but i suppose i'd better say a word or two to show the ladies that i did not willfully and maliciously do them wrong but my chief object mrs cutler in writing you this note and you will pardon the liberty i have taken was to thank you very kindly and sincerely for the consideration you have shown me in this matter and for your continued friendship for molly while others are disposed to withdraw theirs on account of a fault for which i alone am responsible very truly yours sam l clemens the matter did not end with the failure of the duel a very strict law had just been passed making it a felony even to send or accept a challenge clemens on the whole rather tired of virginia city and carson 
thought it a good time to go across the mountains to San Francisco. With Steve Gillis, a printer of whom he was very fond, an inveterate joker who had been more than half responsible for the proposed duel and was to have served as his second, he took the stage one morning and in due time was in the California metropolis at work on the morning call. Clemens had been several times in San Francisco and loved the place. We have no letter of that summer, the first being dated several months after his arrival. He was still working on the call when it was written and contributing literary articles to the Californian of which Bret Hart, unknown to fame, was editor. Hart had his office just above the rooms of the call, and he and Clemens were good friends. San Francisco had a real literary group that, for a time at least, centered around the offices of the Golden Era. In a letter that follows, Clemens would seem to have scorned this publication, but he was a frequent contributor to it at one period. Joaquin Miller was of this band of literary pioneers. Also, Prentice Mulford, Charles Warren Stoddard, Fitzhugh Ludlow, and Orpheus C. Kerr. To Mrs. Jane Clemens and Mrs. Moffat in St. Louis. September 25, 1864. My dear mother and sister, you can see by my picture that this superb climate agrees with me, and it ought, after living where I was never out of sight of snow peaks twenty-four hours during three years. Here we have neither snow nor cold weather. Fires are never lighted, and yet summer clothes are never worn. You wear spring clothing the year round. Steve Gillis, who has been my comrade for two years, and who came down here with me, is to be married, in a week or two, to a very pretty girl worth $130,000 in her own right, and then I shall be alone again, until they build a house, which they will do shortly. We have been here only four months, yet we have changed our lodgings five times, and our hotel twice. We are very comfortably fixed where we are now, and have no fault to find with the rooms or with the people. We are the only lodgers in a well-to-do private family with one grown daughter and a piano in the parlor adjoining our room. But I need a change and must move again. I have taken rooms further down the street. I shall stay in this little quiet street because it is full of gardens and shrubbery and there are none but dwelling-houses in it. I am taking life easy now, and I mean to keep it up for a while. I don't work at night any more. I told the call folks to pay me $25 a week, and let me work only in daylight. So I get up at 10 every morning, and quit work at 5 or 6 in the afternoon. You ask if I work for greenbacks. Hardly. What do you suppose I could do with greenbacks here? I have engaged to write for the new literary paper, The Californian, same pay I used to receive on the Golden Era, one article a week, fifty dollars a month. I quit the era long ago. It wasn't high-toned enough. The Californian circulates among the highest class of the community and is the best weekly literary paper in the United States and I suppose I ought to know. 
I work as I always did, by fits and starts. I wrote two articles last night for the Californian, so that lets me out for two weeks. That would be about $75 in greenbacks, wouldn't it? Been down to San Jose, generally pronounced San Jose, emphasis on last syllable, today fifty miles from here, by railroad. Town of six thousand inhabitants, buried in flowers and shrubbery. The climate is finer than ours here, because it is not so close to the ocean, and is protected from the winds by the coast range. I had an invitation today to go down on an excursion to San Luis Obispo, and from thence to the city of Mexico, to be gone six or eight weeks, or possibly longer, but I could not accept, on account of my contract to act as chief mourner or groomsman at Steve's wedding. I have triumphed. They refused me and other reporters some information at a branch of the coroner's office, Massey's undertaker establishment, a few weeks ago. I published the wickedest article on them I ever wrote in my life, and you can rest assured we got all the information we wanted after that. By the new census, San Francisco has a population of 130,000. They don't count the hordes of Chinamen. Yours affectionately, Sam. I send a picture for Annie and one for Aunt Ella, that is, if she will have it. Relations with the call ceased before the end of the year, though not in the manner described in Roughing It. Mark Twain loved to make fiction of his mishaps and to show himself always in a bad light. As a matter of fact, he left the call with great willingness and began immediately contributing a daily letter to the Enterprise, which brought him a satisfactory financial return. In the biographical sketch with which this volume opens, and more extendedly elsewhere, has been told the story of the trouble growing out of the Enterprise letters, and of Mark Twain's sojourn with James Gillis in the Tuolumne Hills. Also how, in the frowsy hotel at Angel's Camp, he heard the frog anecdote that would become the cornerstone of his fame. There are no letters of this period, only some notebook entries. It is probable that he did not write home, believing, no doubt, that he had very little to say. For more than a year there is not a line that has survived, yet it had been an important year. The Jumping Frog story, published in New York, had been reprinted east and west, and laughed over in at least a million homes. Fame had not come to him, but it was on the way. Yet his outlook seemed not to have been a hopeful one. To Mrs. Jane Clemens and Mrs. Moffat in St. Louis, San Francisco, January 20, 1866. My dear mother and sister, I do not know what to write. My life is so uneventful. I wish I was back there piloting up and down the river again. Verily, all is vanity and little worth, save piloting. To think that, after writing many an article, a man might be excused for thinking tolerably good, those New York people should single out a villainous backwood sketch to compliment me on. Jim Smiley and his jumping frog, a squib which would never have been written but to please Artemis Ward, 
and then it reached new york too late to appear in his book but no matter his book was a wretchedly poor one generally speaking and it could be no credit to either of us to appear between its covers this paragraph is from the new york correspondence of the san francisco alta clipping pasted in mark twain's story in the saturday press of november eighteenth called jim smiley and his jumping frog has set all new york in a roar and he may be said to have made his mark i have been asked fifty times about it and its author and the papers are copying it far and near it is voted the best thing of the day cannot the californian afford to keep mark all to itself it should not let him scintillate so widely without first being filtered through the california press the new york publishing house of carlton and company gave the sketch to the saturday press when they found it was too late for the book though i am generally placed at the head of my breed of scribblers in this part of the country the place properly belongs to bret hart i think though he denies it along with the rest he wants me to club a lot of old sketches together with a lot of his and publish a book i wouldn't do it only he agrees to take all the trouble but i want to know whether we are going to make anything out of it first however he has written to a new york publisher and if we are offered a bargain that will pay for a month's labor we will go to work and prepare the volume for the press yours affectionately sam bret hart and clemens had by this time quit the californian expecting to contribute to eastern periodicals clemens however was not yet through with coast journalism there was much interest just at this time in the sandwich islands and he was selected by the foremost sacramento paper to spy out the islands and report aspects and conditions there his letters home were still infrequent but this was something worth writing to mrs jane clemens and mrs moffett in st louis san francisco march fifth eighteen sixty six my dear mother and sister i start to do sandwich islands day after tomorrow i suppose annie is geographer enough by this time to find them on the map in the steamer ajax we shall arrive there in about twelve days my friends seem determined that i shall not lack acquaintances for i only decided to-day to go and they have already sent me letters of introduction to everybody down there worth knowing i am to remain there a month and ransack the islands the great cataracts and the volcanoes completely and write twenty or thirty letters to the sacramento union for which they pay me as much money as i would get if i stayed at home if i come back here i expect to start straight across the continent by way of the columbia river the pendoreal lakes through montana and down the missouri river only two hundred miles of land travel from san francisco to new orleans Goodbye for the present yours sam his home letters from the islands are numerous enough everything there being so new and so delightful that he found joy in telling of it also he was still young enough to air his triumphs a little especially when he has dined with the grand chamberlain and is going to visit the king 
the languorous life of the islands exactly suited mark twain all his life he remembered them always planning to return some day to stay there until he died in one of his notebooks he wrote went with mr dam to his cool vine-shaded home no careworn or eager anxious faces in this land of happy contentment god what a contrast with california and the washoe and again o islands there are on the face of the deep where the leaves never fade and the skies never weep the letters tell the story of his sojourn which stretched itself into nearly five months to mrs jane clemens and mrs moffett in st louis honolulu sandwich islands april three eighteen sixty six my dear mother and sister i have been here two or three weeks and like the beautiful tropical climate better and better i have ridden on horseback all over this island oahu in the meantime and have visited all the ancient battlefields and other places of interest i have got a lot of human bones which i took from one of these battlefields i guess i will bring you some of them i went with the american minister and took dinner this evening with the king's grand chamberlain who is related to the royal family and although darker than a mulatto he has an excellent english education and in manners is an accomplished gentleman the dinner was as ceremonious as any i ever attended in california five regular courses and five kinds of wine and one of brandy he is to call for me in the morning with his carriage and we will visit the king at the palace both are good masons the king is a royal archmason after dinner tonight they called in the singing girls and we had some beautiful music sung in the native tongue the steamer i came here in sails tomorrow and as soon as she is gone i shall sail for the other islands of the group and visit the great volcano the grand wonder of the world be gone two months yours sam to mrs jane clemens and mrs moffett in st louis wailuku sugar plantation island of maui hawaii may fourth eighteen sixty six my dear mother and sister eleven o'clock at night this is the infernalest darkest country when the moon don't shine i stumbled and fell over my horse's lariat a minute ago and hurt my leg so i must stay here tonight i got the same leg hurt last week i said i hadn't got hold of a spirited horse since i had been on the island and one of the proprietors loaned me a big vicious coat he was altogether too spirited i went to tighten the cinch before mounting him when he let out with his left leg and kicked me across a ten-acre lot a native rubbed and doctored me so well that i was able to stand on my feet in half an hour it was then half after four and i had an appointment to go seven miles and get a girl and take her to a card party at five i have been clattering around among the plantations for three weeks now and next week i am going to visit the extinct crater of mount haleakala the largest in the world it is ten miles to the foot of the mountain 
it rises ten thousand feet above the valley the crater is twenty-nine miles in circumference and one thousand feet deep seen from the summit the city of st louis would look like a picture in the bottom of it as soon as i get back from haleakala pronounced hale eka la i will sail for honolulu again and thence to the island of hawaii pronounced hawaii to see the greatest active volcano in the world that of kilauea pronounced kilauea and from thence back to san francisco and then doubtless to the states i have been on this trip two months and it will probably be two more before i get back to california yours affectionately sam he was having a glorious time one of the most happy carefree adventures of his career no form of travel or undertaking could discountenance mark twain at thirty to mrs orion clemens in carson city honolulu may twenty two eighteen sixty six my dear sister i have just got back from a sea voyage from the beautiful island of maui i have spent five weeks there riding backwards and forwards among the sugar plantations looking up the splendid scenery and visiting the lofty crater of haleakala it has been a perfect jubilee to me in the way of pleasure i have not written a single line and have not once thought of business or care or human toil or trouble or sorrow or weariness few such months come in a lifetime i set sail again a week hence for the island of hawaii to see the great active volcano of kilauea i shall not get back here for four or five weeks and shall not reach san francisco before the latter part of july so it is no use to wait for me to go home go on yourselves if i were in the east now i could stop the publication of a piratical book which has stolen some of my sketches it is late good-bye molly your brother sam to mrs jane clemens and mrs moffat in st louis honolulu sandwich islands june twenty one eighteen sixty six my dear mother and sister i have just got back from a hard trip through the island of hawaii begun on the twenty sixth of may and finished on the eighteenth of june only six or seven days at sea all the balance horseback and the hardest mountain road in the world i stayed at the volcano about a week and witnessed the greatest eruption that has occurred for years i lived well there they charge four dollars a day for board and a dollar or two extra for guides and horses i had a pretty good time they didn't charge me anything i have got back sick went to bed as soon as i arrived here shall not be strong again for several days yet i rushed too fast i ought to have taken five or six weeks on that trip a week hence i start for the island of Kauai to be gone three weeks and then i go back to california the crown princess is dead and thousands of natives cry and wail and dance and dance for the dead around the king's palace all night and every night 
they will keep it up for a month and then she will be buried honorable anson burlingame u s minister to china and general van valkenburg minister to japan with their families and suites have just arrived here en route they were going to do me the honor to call on me this morning and that accounts for my being out of bed now you know what condition my room is always in when you are not around so i climbed out of bed and dressed and shaved pretty quick and went up to the residence of the american minister and called on them mr burlingame told me a good deal about hon jerry clemens and that virginia clemens who was wounded in a duel he was in congress years with both of them mr b sent for his son to introduce him said he could tell that frog story of mine as well as anybody i told him i was glad to hear it for i never tried to tell it myself without making a botch of it at his request i have loaned mr burlingame pretty much everything i ever wrote i guess he will be an almighty wise man by the time he wades through that lot if the new united states minister to the sandwich islands hon edwin mccook were only here now so that i could get his views on this new condition of sandwich island politics i would sail for california at once but he will not arrive for two weeks yet and so i am going to spend that interval on the island of kawai i stopped three days with hon mr coney deputy marshal of the kingdom at hilo hawaii last week and by a funny circumstance he knew everybody that i ever knew in hannibal and palmyra we used to sit up all night talking and then sleep all day he lives like a prince confound that island i had a streak of fat and a streak of lean all over it got lost several times and had to sleep in huts with the natives and live like a dog of course i couldn't speak fifty words of the language take it all together though it was a mighty hard trip yours affectionately sam burlingame and van valkenburg were on their way to their posts and their coming to the islands just at this time proved a most important circumstance to mark twain we shall come to this presently in a summary of the newspaper letters written to the union june twenty seventh he wrote to his mother and sister a letter only a fragment of which survives in which he tells of the arrival in honolulu of the survivors of the ship hornet burned on the line and of his securing the first news report of the lost vessel part of a letter to mrs jane clemens and mrs moffat in st louis honolulu june twenty seventh eighteen sixty six with a gill of water a day to each man i got the whole story from the third mate and two of the sailors if my account gets to the sacramento union first it will be published first all over the united states france england russia and germany all over the world i may say you will see it mr burlingame went with me all the time and helped me question the men throwing away invitations to dinner with the princes and foreign dignitaries and neglecting all sorts of things to accommodate me you know how i appreciate that kind of thing especially from such a man who is acknowledged to have no superior in the diplomatic circles of the world 
and obtained from china concessions in favor of america which were refused to sir frederick bruce and envoys of france and russia until procured for them by burlingame himself which service was duly acknowledged by those dignitaries he hunted me up as soon as he came here and has done me a hundred favors since and says if i will come to china in the first trip of the great mail steamer next january and make his house in peking my home he will afford me facilities that few men can have there for seeing and learning he will give me letters to the chiefs of the great mail steamship company which will be of service to me in this matter i expect to do all this but i expect to go to the states first and from china to the paris world's fair don't show this letter yours affectionately sam p s the crown princess of this kingdom will be buried to-morrow with great ceremony after that i sail in two weeks for california this concludes mark twain's personal letters from the islands of his descriptive newsletters there were about twenty and they were regarded by the readers of the union as distinctly notable re-reading those old letters to-day it is not altogether easy to understand why they were set in fine nonpareil type for one thing which present-day eyes simply refuse at any price and the reward by present-day standards is not especially tempting the letters began in the union with the issue of april the sixteenth eighteen sixty six the first of date march eighteenth tells of the writer's arrival at honolulu the humor in it is not always of a high order it would hardly pass for humor today at all that the same man who wrote the hawaiian letters in eighteen sixty six he was then over thirty years old could two years later have written that marvelous book the innocents abroad is a phenomenon in literary development the hawaiian letters however do show the transition stage between the rough elemental humor of the comstock and the refined and subtle style which flowered in the innocence abroad certainly mark twain's genius was finding itself and his association with the refined and cultured personality of anson burlingame undoubtedly aided in that discovery burlingame pointed out his faults to him and directed him to a better way no more than that was needed at such a time to bring about a transformation the sandwich islands letters however must have been precisely adapted to their audience a little more refined than the log comstock a little less subtle than the atlantic public and they added materially to his coast prestige but let us consider a sample extract from the first sandwich islands letter our little band of passengers was well and thoughtfully cared for by the friends they left weeping upon the wharf as ever were any similar body of pilgrims the travelling outfit conferred upon me began with a naval uniform continued with a case of wine a small assortment of medicinal liquors and brandy several boxes of cigars a bunch of matches a fine-tooth comb and a cake of soap and ended with a pair of socks n b i gave the soap to brown who bit into it and then shook his head and said that as a general thing he liked to prospect curious foreign dishes and find out what they were made of 
but he couldn't go that and threw it overboard it is nearly impossible to imagine humor in this extract yet it is a fair sample of the entire letter he improves in his next at least in description and gives us a picture of the crater in this letter also he writes well and seriously in a prophetic strain of the great trade that is to be established between san francisco and hawaii and argues for a line of steamers between the ports in order that the islands might be populated by americans by which course european trade in that direction could be superseded but the humor in this letter such as it is would scarcely provoke a smile to-day as the letters continue he still urges the fostering of the island trade by the united states finds himself impressed by the work of the missionaries who have converted cannibals to christians and gives picturesque bits of the life and scenery hawaii was then dominated chiefly by french and english though the american interests were by no means small extract from letter number four captain fitch said there's the king that's him in the buggy i know him as far as i can see him i had never seen a king and i naturally took out a notebook and put him down tall slender dark full-bearded green frock coat with lapels and collar bordered with gold band an inch wide plug hat broad gold band around it royal costume looks too much like livery this man is not as fleshy as i thought he was i had just got these notes when captain fitch discovered that he'd got hold of the wrong king or rather that he'd got hold of the king's driver or carriage driver of one of the nobility the king wasn't present at all it was a great disappointment to me i heard afterwards that the comfortable easy-going king kamehameha v had been sitting on a barrel on the wharf the day before fishing but there was no consolation in that that did not restore me my lost king this is something of the flavor of the man we were to know later the quaint gentle resignation to disappointment which is one of the finest touches in his humor further on he says i had not shaved since i left san francisco as soon as i got ashore i hunted up a striped pole and shortly found one i always had a yearning to be a king this may never be i suppose but at any rate it will always be a satisfaction to me to know that if i am not a king i am the next thing to it i have been shaved by the king's barber Honolulu was a place of cats. He saw cats of every shade and variety. He says, I saw cats, tomcats, Marianne cats, bobtail cats, blind cats, one-eyed cats, wall-eyed cats, cross-eyed cats, gray cats, black cats, white cats, yellow cats, striped cats, spotted cats, tame cats, wild cats, singe cats individual cats groups of cats platoons of cats companies of cats armies of cats multitudes of cats millions of cats and all of them sleek fat and lazy and sound asleep which illustrates another characteristic of the humor we were to know later 
the humour of grotesque exaggeration, in which he was always strong. He found the islands during his periods of inaction conducive to indolence. If I were not so fond of looking into the rich mass of green leaves, he says, that swathe the stately tamarind right before my door, I would idle less and write more, I think. The Union made good use of his letters. Sometimes it printed them on the front page. Evidently they were popular from the beginning. The Union was a fine, handsome paper, beautiful in its minute typography and in its press work, more beautiful than most papers of today, with their machine-set type, their vulgar illustrations, and their chain-lightning presses. A few more extracts. The only cigars here are those trifling, insipid, tasteless, flavorless things they call manillas, ten for twenty-five cents, and it would take a thousand of them to be worth half the money. After you have smoked about thirty-five dollars worth of them in the forenoon, you feel nothing but a desperate yearning to go out somewhere and take a smoke. Captains and ministers form about half the population. The third fourth is composed of Kanakas and mercantile foreigners and their families. The final fourth is made up of high officers of the Hawaiian government, and there are just about enough cats to go round. In number six, April the second, he says, An excursion to Diamond Head and the King's Coconut Grove was planned today at four thirty p.m the party to consist of half a dozen gentlemen and three ladies. They all started at the appointed hour, except myself. Somebody remarked that it was twenty minutes past five o'clock, and that woke me up. It was a fortunate circumstance that Captain Phillips was there with his turnout, as he calls his top buggy that Captain Cook brought here in 1778, and a horse that was here when Captain Cook came. This bit has something the savor of his subsequent work, but, as a rule, the humor compares poorly with that which was to come later. In number seven he speaks of the natives singing American songs, not always to his comfort. Marching through Georgia was one of their favorite airs. He says, If it had been all the same to General Sherman, I wish he had gone around by the way of the Gulf of Mexico, instead of marching through Georgia. Letters numbers 8, 9, and 10 were not of special importance. In number 10 he gives some advice to San Francisco as to the treatment of whalers. He says, If I were going to advise San Francisco as to the best strategy to employ in order to secure the whaling trade, I should say cripple your facilities for pulling sea captains on any pretense that sailors can trump up and show the whaler a little more consideration when he is in port. In number 11, May 24th, he tells of a trip to the Kalihi Valley and through historic points. At one place he looked from a precipice over which old Kamehameha I drove the army of Oahu three-quarters of a century before. The vegetation and glory of the tropics attracted him. In one open spot, a vine of a species unknown had taken possession of two tall dead stumps, 
and wound around and about them and swung out from their tops and twined their meeting tendrils together into a faultless arch man with all his art could not improve upon its symmetry he saw sam brannan's palace the bungalow built by one shilliber of san francisco at a cost of from thirty to forty thousand dollars in its day it had outshone its regal neighbor the palace of the king but had fallen to decay after passing into brannan's hands and had become a picturesque theban ruin by the time of mark twain's visit in number twelve june twentieth written may twenty third he tells of the hawaiian legislature and of his trip to the island of maui where as he says he never spent so pleasant a month before or bade any place good-bye so regretfully in number thirteen he continues the legislature and gives this picture of minister harris he is six feet high bony and rather slender long ungainly arms stands so straight he leans back a little has small side whiskers his head long up and down he has no command of language or ideas oratory all show and pretense a big washing and a small hangout weak insipid and a damn fool in general in number fourteen june twenty second published july sixteenth he tells of the death and burial ceremonies of the princess victoria k k and what was to be of more importance to him of the arrival of anson burlingame u s minister to china and general van valkenburg u s minister to japan they were to stay ten or fourteen days he said but an effort would be made to have them stay over july fourth speaking of burlingame burlingame is a man who could be esteemed respected and popular anywhere no matter whether he was among christians or cannibals then in the same letter comes the great incident a letter arrived here yesterday giving a meagre account of the arrival on the island of hawaii of nineteen poor starving wretches who had been buffeting a stormy sea in an open boat for forty-three days their ship the hornet from new york with a quantity of kerosene on board had taken fire and burned in latitude two degrees north and longitude thirty-five degrees west when they had been entirely out of provisions for a day or two and the cravings of hunger become insufferable they yielded to the shipwrecked mariners fearful and awful alternative and solemnly drew lots to determine who of their number should die to furnish food for his comrades and then the morning mists lifted and they saw land they are being cared for at sanpaho not yet corroborated the hornet disaster was fully told in his letter of june twenty seventh the survivors were brought to honolulu and with the assistance of the burlingame party clemens laid up with saddle boils was carried on a stretcher to the hospital where aided by burlingame he interviewed the shipwrecked men securing material for the most important piece of serious writing he had thus far performed letter number fifteen to the union of date june twenty fifth occupied the most of the first page in the issue of july nineteen it was a detailed account of the sufferings of officers and crew 
as given by the third officer and members of the crew. From letter number 15. In the postscript of a letter which I wrote two or three days ago, and sent by the ship Live Yankee, I gave you the substance of a letter received here from Hilo by Walker Allen and Company, informing them that a boat containing fifteen men in a helpless and starving condition had drifted ashore at Sanpaho, island of Hawaii, and that they had belonged to the clipper ship Hornet, Captain Mitchell, master had been afloat since the burning of that vessel about one hundred miles north of the equator on the third of may forty-three days the third mate and ten of the seamen have arrived here and are now in the hospital captain mitchell one seaman named antonio Passim, and two passengers samuel and henry ferguson of new york city eighteen and twenty-eight years are still at hilo but are expected here within the week. In the captain's modest epitome of the terrible romance, you detect the fine old hero through it. It reads like Grant. Here follows the whole terrible narrative which has since been published in more substantial form and has been recognized as literature. It occupied three and a half columns on the front page of the Union and, of course, constituted a great beat for that paper a fact which they appreciated to the extent of one hundred dollars the column upon the writer's return from the islands. In letters numbers fourteen and fifteen he gives further particulars of the month of mourning for the princess and funeral ceremonials. He refers to Burlingame, who was still in the islands. The remaining letters are unimportant. The Hawaiian episode in Mark Twain's life was one of those spots that seemed to him always filled with sunlight. From beginning to end, it had been a long, luminous dream. In the next letter, written on the homeward-bound ship, becalmed under a cloudless sky, we realize the fitting end of the experience. To Mrs. Jane Clemens and Mrs. Moffat, in St. Louis, on board ship Smyrniot, at sea, July 30, 1866 my dear mother and sister i write now because i must go hard at work as soon as i get to san francisco and then i shall have no time for other things though truth to say i have nothing now to write which will be calculated to interest you much we left the sandwich islands eight or ten days or twelve days ago i don't know which i have been so hard at work until today at least part of each day that the time has slipped away almost unnoticed. The first few days we came at a whooping gait, being in the latitude of the northeast trades, but we soon ran out of them. We used them as long as they lasted, hundred of miles, and came dead straight north until exactly abreast of San Francisco, precisely straight west of the city, in a bee-line but a long bee-line as we were about two thousand miles at sea consequently we are not a hundred yards nearer san francisco than you are and here we lie becalmed in a glassy sea we do not move an inch we throw banana and orange peel overboard and it lies still on the water by the vessel's side 
sometimes the ocean is as dead level as the mississippi river and glitters glassily as if polished but usually of course no matter how calm the weather is we roll and surge over the grand ground swell we amuse ourselves tying pieces of tin to the ship's log and sinking them to see how far we can distinguish them under water eighty-six feet was the deepest we could see a small piece of tin but a white plate would show about as far down as the steeple of dr bullard's church would reach i guess the sea is very dark and blue here ever since we got becalmed five days i have been copying the diary of one of the young fergusons the two boys who starved and suffered with thirteen others in an open boat at sea for forty-three days lately after their ship the hornet was burned on the equator both these boys and captain mitchell are passengers with us i am copying the diary to publish in harper's magazine if i have time to fix it up properly when i get to san francisco i suppose from present appearances light winds and calms that we shall be two or three weeks at sea yet and i hope so i am in no hurry to go to work sunday morning august six this is rather slow we still drift 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 along at intervals a spanking breeze and then drift again hardly move for half a day but i enjoy it we have such snowy moonlight and such gorgeous sunsets and the ship is so easy even in a gale she rolls very little compared to other vessels and in this calm we could dance on deck if we chose you can walk a crack so steady is she very different from the ajax my trunk used to get loose in the state-room and rip and tear round the place as if it had life in it and i always had to take my clothes off in bed because i could not stand up and do it there is a ship in sight the first object we have seen since we left honolulu we are still thirteen hundred or fourteen hundred miles from land and so anything like this that varies the vast solitude of the ocean makes all hands light-hearted and cheerful we think the ship is the comet which left honolulu several hours before we did she is about twelve miles away and so we cannot see her hull but the sailors think it is the comet because of some peculiarity about her foretop gallant sails we have watched her all the forenoon afternoon we had preaching on the quarter-deck by rev mr rising of virginia city old friend of mine spread a flag on the booby hatch which made a very good pulpit and then ranged the chairs on either side against the bulwarks last sunday we had the shadow of the mainsail but to-day we were on the opposite tack close hauled and had the sun i am leader of the choir on this ship and a sorry lead it is i hope they will have a better opinion of our music in heaven than i have down here if they don't a thunderbolt will come down and knock the vessel endways the other ship is the comet she is right abreast three miles away sailing on our course both of us in a dead calm 
with the glasses we can see what we take to be men and women on her decks i am well acquainted with nearly all her passengers and being so close seems right sociable monday seven i had just gone to bed a little after midnight when the second mate came and roused up the captain and said the comet has come round and is standing away on the other tack i went up immediately and so did all our passengers without waiting to dress men women and children there was a perceptible breeze pretty soon the other ship swept down upon us with all her sails set and made a fine show in the luminous starlight she passed within a hundred yards of us so we could faintly see persons on our decks we had two minutes chat with each other through the medium of horse shouting and then she bore away to windward in the morning she was only a little black peg standing out of the glassy sea in the distant horizon an almost invisible mark in the bright sky dead calm so the ships have stood all day long have not moved one hundred yards august eighth the calm continues magnificent weather the gentlemen have all turned boys they play boyish games on the poop and quarter-deck for instance they lay a knife on the fife rail of the mainmast stand off three steps shut one eye walk up and strike at it with the forefinger seldom hit it also they lay a knife on the deck and walk seven or eight steps with eyes closed shut and try to find it they kneel place elbows against knees, extend hands in front along the deck, place knife against end of fingers, then clasp hands behind back and bend forward and try to pick up the knife with their teeth and rise up from knees without rolling over or losing their balance. They tie a string to the shrouds, stand with back against it, walk three steps, eyes shut, turn around three times and go and put finger on the string only a military man can do it if you want to know how perfectly ridiculous a grown man looks performing such absurdities in the presence of ladies get one to try it afternoon the calm is no more there are three vessels in sight it is so sociable to have them hovering about us on this broad waste of water it is sunny and pleasant but blowing hard every rag about the ship is spread to the breeze and she is speeding over the sea like a bird there's a large brig right astern of us with all her canvas set and chasing us at her best she came up fast while the winds were light but now it is hard to tell whether she gains or not we can see the people on the forecastle with the glass the race is exciting i am sorry to know that we shall soon have to quit the vessel and go ashore if she keeps up this speed friday august ten we have breezes and calms alternately the brig is two miles to three astern and just stays there we sail directly east this brings the brig with all her canvas set almost in the eye of the sun when it sets beautiful she looks sharply cut and black as a coal against a background of fire and in the midst of a sea of blood san francisco august twenty we never saw the comet again till the thirteenth 
in the morning three miles away at three o'clock that afternoon twenty-five days out from honolulu both ships entered the golden gate of san francisco side by side and three hundred yards apart there was a gale blowing and both vessels clapped on every stitch of canvas and swept up through the channel and past the fortresses at a magnificent gait i have been up to sacramento and squared accounts with the union they paid me a great deal more than they promised me yours affectionately sam end of section six recording by james k white chula vista